the incomparable. Number 389, January 2018. Welcome back, everybody, to The Incomparable. I'm your host, Jason Snell. And in this episode, we are resuming our walk through the films of Hayao Miyazaki. And the uh, the selection this time made, as always, by John Syracuse, who joins me. John, what movie did we watch this time? I hope we all watched Spirited Away, because that's what we're going to talk about. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Sorry well, let's, let's let's check in. Steve Lutz, did you watch Spirited Away? Uh, yes. I okay, did. good. Whew. Moises Chuyan, did you watch Spirited Away? Childhood ain't easy, man. Childhood ain't easy. I'm going to take that as a yes. Aline Sims, did you watch Spirited Away? Yeah, but I held my breath the whole time. Oh, good. So no one could see you while you were watching the DVD. Uh-huh. I also I watched Spirited Away, but that's not why I'm here. I just want to work. <laughs> I just need a job. I'm just here to work. And wade in a giant pool of filth. Oh, man. Okay, 2001, Spirited Away. This is a weird movie. Um, people love it. Mm-hmm. I don't, I, I'm don't. i hoping that in this episode, some people can explain what the heck happened in this movie to me. Uh, John, <laughs> do you have an opening statement of any kind for this one? Uh, no, but I'll come up with one on the spot just for you. Um, mm. I, Spirited <laughs> Thank Away. Thank you. Uh, I feel so special. It's got all these awards. I think it was like the highest grossing movie in Japan. It's very often cited as like, oh, this amazing uh, animated movie by people who aren't familiar with Miyazaki's work. So it's very, very popular. And you can kind of see why if you look at it, like the animation in the movie is beautiful. And if you, if that's all you take away from it, if you've never seen a Miyazaki movie or any kind of anime and you watch this, it stands up like head and shoulders above uh, lesser animation, especially lesser hand-drawn animation. And if you've only ever seen Disney hand-drawn animation, this looks a very different style. Um, but uh, the reason I waited so long to offer this up as a selection is because it's not my favorite Miyazaki movie uh, there are many others that we've already watched that I that I like better and that I think are better movies. Um, but this is widely praised and very popular, and I think uh, it's slotted in here just because I think it's worth talking about why everybody loves it so much and why maybe Jason doesn't. <laughs> when you put it next to Totoro, uh, it's it's something that that it, uh, there's there's a foundational difference in the narrative where Totoro you have this you know supportive loving parent figure. And in this one, it is much more about the next generation cleaning up after the obliviousness, the complacency, uh, the, uh, the our pig parents, the the, the pig parents <laughs> that came before them. And uh, and Jason, it, it may it may be a little bit of your your parental gene of not all parents are bad. No, that's uh, not it. It's not it. It's not it. It's just it's just seventeen pounds of crazy in a five pound bag. <laughs> Maybe more. <laughs> Um, this, this, this movie ended up being, I found a lot of people's introduction, not just to Miyazaki, not just to Ghibli, but to anime in general. And when you have something that does so much visually, uh, I can totally get people looking past the fact that in most U S Canadian, uh, presentations, most of what people have been exposed to are uh, subtitles on DVDs that use the uh, the dialogue from the English dub rather than actual translation of the script that includes a bunch of cultural stuff that that contextualizes things a bit better. Um, but it's it's weird. It is a real weird one to look at from a straight ahead. Oh, this is an animated film. It's it's an animated film. It's a fantasy film. 
it's a it's a bizarre um, visual tapestry of just all kinds of stuff, uh, especially loads and loads of stuff from Japanese mythology that. there there are various things that that are familiar now to a lot of western audiences but there's plenty of stuff in this movie that is now almost 20 years old that is still not commonly uh trotted out uh in stuff that people who who've watched more than just spirited away more than just kiki's delivery service more than just totoro um there's a whole lot of stuff just it's just a lot of stuff to take in uh and and I, i think that is where it can overwhelm people jason included Aline, any opening remarks? So the first, this this was my second Miyazaki movie. The first Miyazaki movie I ever watched was Kiki's Delivery Service, which I will never be able to talk about on The Incomparable. But, uh, so well, the second movie. Just be on the commentary track that we do someday. <laughs> uh, maybe someday. that. Um, but this was the second Miyazaki movie I watched. And honestly, and this was just a few years after it came out, I think. And I remember returning it to to the friend who was like, you have to watch this movie. He was really working on getting me into like Miyazaki and anime. And and I was like, Oscar, I do not get this movie. I It, it was cute, I guess, but it, it was my first real memory in my early 20s of being like, there is so much culturally I don't understand about this movie that I just, I can't even comprehend it. Um and I'm wondering if that's part of what other people feel like no face. I was, I still don't really get no face. I've just decided that I'm going to let it go. You know, it's just mm-hmm. like, okay, this is, this is weird. Um, so I don't know if that's kind of your experience too, but the first time I watched it, the second time I watched it, the third time I watched it, I was like, I do not know about this movie. Tonight, I was actually sitting there thinking as I was watching it before we started, uh, recording. And it's the most fun I've ever had watching it. And I think I know it so well at this point that I'm willing to appreciate just the the intricacy of the art and the little visual gags that happen and the uh, attention to detail, especially in the way Chihiro moves and that kind of thing, that I enjoyed it more, I think, than I ever have before. Uh, but like, it, it was persistence, I think, to get me here because I did not like it the first time I watched it. I liked parts of it, but I mostly just felt confused. Yeah, it's the first Miyazaki I ever saw. And oh, I saw poor, poor I, Westerner. I, I saw, well, this, man. here's the thing. I saw it and thought, uh, you know, everybody's like, oh, this is a really great movie. And I'm like, all right, I'm going to give it a shot. Everybody loved it. And I didn't dislike it, but I was mostly baffled by it. And actually mm-hmm. watching it now, yeah. having seen a bunch of Miyazaki, um, I actually appreciate some of the things about it more because I know Miyazaki, both in that some of these things are familiar, like the Soot Sprites, who make a cameo here. It's nice to see them. But also in the ways where it goes away from your Miyazaki expectations in that the first, what, five minutes of this movie with the parents and the daughter and they're moving to a new place. Boy, I've seen that before. And all of that, it's like, oh, this is a Miyazaki movie. I know exactly where this is going to go. And boy, does it not go there. And uh, I know that now, having seen his other movies about about just how kind of strange this is. My memory of watching it the first time is mostly the one scene where they pull all the garbage out of the river spirit and she's engulfed in water and basically a face appears and says, well done. And I remember watching that scene and going, okay, 
Like that was that moment where I just kind of broke and I was like, I just have no idea why anything happens in this movie or what it means. And uh, Moises, yeah, I mean, more than any, I'm sure every Miyazaki movie I watch has lots of significances to Japanese culture that I do not understand as a Westerner. This is the movie where I feel like I I literally cannot tell what things are flights of fancy and what things are very specifically referencing things from Japanese mythology or culture. It it is in in almost every way the most foreign feeling Miyazaki to me because I know I, I like when I watch it I feel unqualified to watch it. I have, th- I have things to say on the subject. I agree all right. with that. Yeah. Yeah, there's there's a lot of that that kind of deep end being thrown all the way in with all of it and and getting hit all in the face with all of it all at once. All right. But so- I, I don't think that entirely uh makes it obtuse, uh but I, I think I think uh, assistant professor Lutz uh can probably <laughs> expound on that. So this is what this is our our fifth uh Miyazaki that we've done I think on so. incomparable uh in in uh, extended fashion, as opposed to the whirlwind tour that you guys did early on with mm-hmm. just you and John. Yeah, I, I have no way of of knowing how I would have felt about this film if this was the first that I had seen, because that that ship has sailed. But this movie is bug nuts crazy. <laughs> uh, it is just starting off with that, and I loved every minute of it. I think <laughs> this is possibly in the running for my favorite Miyazaki of the five that we've seen. Um. It's baffling, yes, but not, I think, in a unexplainable way. I mean, I think the whole thing, if you if you take it from the perspective of this utterly terrified child who's experiencing all these things, uh, which is sort of a microcosm of her whole views on moving in the first place, if you don't mind the fact that it's bug nuts, if you're able to just accept that and ride the bug nuts, it's uh, <laughs> it's great. <laughs> I mean, I, it's if 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 you're cool with it, if you don't have to explain every little thing, it's a blast. Well, that that actually is exactly how I feel when that, that moment where it says "well done," and this time I just laughed out loud when it said because I remembered that feeling from the last time, which is that is the moment where I decided to ride with it because I'm like, I have yeah. no idea. Like, sure, of course. I mean, yeah, it, it makes sense. It's, it's- kooky as it is i think i understand everything that's going on yeah. in this movie I, I wouldn't say i'm necessarily confused by the narrative such as it is uh but it's definitely nutty i mean there's a lot of weird stuff that goes on here and it's 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 a trip <laughs> there's there's so much of that stuff going on that it can it can distract from what really at its core is a pretty simple uh narrative of, of what he's trying to get across but all of that window dressing can really 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 distract you from the fact that at its core it is about finding your sense of self and growing up and childhood like many of the films are uh but but what specific version of that story it's telling you you get you you see giant piles of food and radish gods and frogs jumping all over the place and uh and platypus duck god creatures and frog dudes with mustaches and all kinds of stuff all over the place and you you can really very easily get incredibly distracted the world is it's a terrifying overwhelming place for a kid yeah and i mean that's kind of the whole point and and the movie does a fantastic job of getting that across it puts you i mean kids have no control over anything basically and you don't feel like you have much control over what's going on in this movie. So uh, I, I think it sets the stage perfectly for its for what it's trying to get across. There's there's a director's statement in the booklet in the new G-Kids Blu-ray from Miyazaki that he, he really gets at 
specifically why he wanted it to be a Japanese-styled fairy tale with all of these trappings and not have some of the more westernized stuff that uh, that, that you see in, in other things that make it a little bit more comfortable to non-Japanese audiences that aren't used to um, the the loads and loads of Japanese mythology stuff that is really cool and really amazing, and it's like the first time that many of us are seeing a bunch of this kind of stuff. And so it it uh, it completely blindsides us uh, in 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 a lot of cases where you see it a second time and it's a totally different experience than when you saw it the first time because the first time you just kind of have to let this thing wash over you and you know that you had an experience um, but you you really don't you don't get a further texture to it until uh, until you come back around it a second time is is that's what I found with a lot of people is they know they had an enjoyable experience they can't exactly tell you why. <laughs> They can't exactly tell you what happened, um, but boy, that sure was some movie. A lot of Miyazaki's narratives are are like this. I mean, even the movies that we've just seen on this podcast where, I'm not going to say they're episodic, but it's like a bunch of stuff happens, and you're not entirely sure there is a through line to the narrative, except that there is a theme. And, uh, you know, there, there are more straightforward movies, but another movie that, that uh, you know, even Kiki's Delivery Service is like that. There's a bunch of episodic adventures all building to show something, but the, but the setting is fairly conventional and we're comfortable with it, so we kind of understand what's going on. Um, my complaint so much in, uh, with this movie is not the setting, uh, especially having watched so much Japanese animation, that it's not, you know, it's, it's not particularly out of the ordinary, except for, like, all the, the gods and monsters, which obviously are going to be weird, but even that is not uh, that far out of the ordinary. So this movie has has a theme and has a message and has kind of a through line to the narrative, but it is also very episodic. There are some things that happen. Like what's the most important thing that happened? Is it no face? Is that the central conflict? Is it, uh, you know, Yubaba? Uh, is it the, uh, the, the weird, uh, stamp thing and Haku and, uh, remembering that he was the river. Like it's all of those things. Like they're all, yeah. it's just, they're, they're equally weighted. Um, and, and I'm not sure what, what alchemy makes, any of these episodic movies gel or not in the end. But when I think about Spirit Away, which at this point I've seen many, many, many times, I mostly uh, think about uh, sort of the, the imagery and the music, which I love. Uh, like, I, I see it as vignettes. It doesn't it doesn't cohere in my mind, even though there is sort of a through line if you, if you watch it. And maybe that's because the vignettes stand out so much. Like, I think about the train going over the tracks in the water a lot. Uh, you know, I, I think about the uh, the bathhouse itself and the machinery and, like, the, you know, the back stairs and the main entryway and the elevators and the boiler room and all that. Like, I think about that, but I never find myself thinking about the characters or their journey. Um, and I, and you know, that's, that's one of the reasons I feel like I don't connect to this as much. I think about Kiki as a character and identify with Kiki and everything, but I don't, I don't identify with Chihiro. I mostly think about, uh, the setting and the images. And to me that like, it basically just means that the movie doesn't, didn't land as well for me. Um, and the other movie we haven't seen yet, we will eventually that I think is most similar to this in terms of lots of inexplicable things go on is Howl's Moving Castle, yeah. where oh, yeah. it's also a very unfamiliar setting, very confusing. Um, and similarly, I'm not sure it entirely gels at the end. And that, that is a, the delicate balance of Miyazaki movies. Like that style of sort of it, purportedly, I don't know if this is true. It's one of those things they tell you about creators. Like, oh, Miyazaki doesn't really know what's going to happen in a story. He just starts storyboarding and it just sort of comes to him. And like, that's no way to make a movie. <laughs> how can how can you make a movie that way? And I don't know if that's just something they tell you to increase his legend 
but you kind of see the output and you're like, yeah, I can kind of see that because yeah. these are r- sort of rambling stories that take right and left yeah. turns. And when it works, it all comes to get like Totoro. I mean, if you sketch it out, it's like, okay, this is what's going to happen. They're going to have a bath and they're going to grow something. <laughs> there's going to be some corn and a goat and then it's going to end. Every- what do you think? And they're like, what? what? <laughs> like, oh, oh, by the way, you might think she's dead at one point. Like, it doesn't, yeah. it doesn't make any sense. But so- but sometimes it comes together and sometimes it doesn't. And honestly, like, I'm not, not that I'm dumping on this movie. Even when it doesn't come together, uh, for like for me in this movie, it doesn't really gel in the end. I still find myself thinking about this movie a lot, and I still find it a joy to watch. Yeah. Like, I'm, I'm sort of with Aline where I hadn't seen it in a while, and I watched it again, and I had forgotten how much I enjoy watching this movie because there's not a scene in it that's not exquisite. Like, the, the, every scene, every background, every bit of animation... Mm-hmm. Like, there's a reason it's praised as highly as it is. Uh, you know, I, I I was getting my kicks just looking at the the world's most faithful reproduction of the the Audi A4, uh, like down to the <laughs> down to the door handles and the other parts of it that I'm familiar with from reading car magazines. And it's like and there's nothing in this movie that some animator didn't get like 20 reference photos of and and reproduce like beautifully and perfectly. And I just assume that's true for every other thing in this movie that I have no idea what it's supposed to look like. It has four wheel uh, drive, you know. <laughs> yeah. Accurate reproduction of of the macho dad and his his uh, not so macho uh, German four wheel drive vehicle. <laughs> I mean, a lot of this movie is going against. I realize now, especially going against your expectations. You do think that this is going to be this. You know, it, it is a coming of age story about your hero, and we meet her, and she's going to be left in this world all alone because her parents turned into pigs. Turns out, and then you know, and then what I I agree with John. It kind of loses that thread or at least it falls into the background a little bit more and as a result Chihiro is not as I, I you know I would say memorable as a lot of the uh, lead characters in some other Miyazaki movies and what you what you end up with is in the middle of this movie is kind of Tales from the Spirit Bathhouse which is okay because it's a weird place where strange mm-hmm. things are going. It's like Yubaba's. I mean, almost. It's almost. Yeah. It's and Yubaba is the is the lead character in Tales from the Spirit Bathhouse, but she's always just introducing tonight's story about oh the time the radish spirit came or whatever. And um, it, it does feel very yeah. It's episodic or 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 it's vignettes. It's it's a uh, it's going to all sorts of different places. And that's why yeah. I, I when I think about it, I think of images more than I think about like a through line of the movie or a ju- the journey that Sen uh, Chihiro takes, even though she does take one. Um, because, yeah, it, there are all the, all the different pieces. Which is not to say... I, I mean, I guess what I'd say is I appreciate this as filmmaking maybe more than I emotionally attach to it. But uh, I think it's absolutely true that there are individual scenes and you sort of pick one that are amazing just on their own in terms of the way these little stories are told and the visuals. The one that I noticed this time more than I have before is the scene where Haku is being chased by the, they're like, they're kind of like paper airplanes, but they're kind of like birds and, and he's flying around and you're watching them fly. Of course, cause flight it's a Miyazaki movie. Um, and sh- he flies in and she closes the, the, the window basically and they all kind of smash against the window and all over her face and all of that and it's an amazing beautiful incredibly well put together scene and this movie is full of scenes like that it's funny I had exactly the opposite reaction (laughs) to this movie well to me I mean this this felt less episodic to me than most of the other Miyazaki's we've seen and I I, I didn't feel like there were 
halting points between the various vignettes, like there very clearly were in Kiki's, for instance. Um, it, you know, it felt like it ran pretty straight through. And, and sure, there are moments that, you know, take up a bigger chunk of the movie, but how do you make a movie where you don't do that? You know, you have to have, you know, highs and lows and, and crescendos and whatnot. Um, but I, and, and I also felt that uh, I connected, I think, a little better with Ch- Chihiro than I did with some of the other uh, Miyazaki heroines because of the fact that everything is so baffling and overwhelming. And she, I think, makes a more relatable stand-in for me for that very reason. I, you know, I can, I can relate to being freaked out by what's going on because it's freaking me out too, kid. I understand where you're coming from. The thing for me, uh, we we haven't uh, brought up Alice in Wonderland yet, um, but the that that's a, a common comparison that's made, where there is this you know fanciful trip through a series of amazing you know vignettes. People remember the Mad Hatter bit and the Cheshire Cat and this and this other thing, and and I know a lot of people have that same kind of reaction along the lines of what Jason was describing, um, and and I think that that's that's a way to process it. But for me, the narrative the narrative doesn't it doesn't lose or just kind of just kind of like take a scenic tour into scenes from the bathhouse so much as that for me is evocative of the philosophical take that that Miyazaki's got behind this this is actually the the piece from the booklet i was going to mention uh he says to take a name away from a person is an attempt to keep them under perfect control. Sen shuddered when she realized that she was beginning to forget her own name. And besides, every time she goes to see her parents at the pig pen, she becomes used to seeing her parents as pigs. In the world where Yubaba rules, people must always live in dangers which might swallow them up. And her 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 journey is in the fact that she is starting to lose her sense of self, but it's not being telegraphed for us so much. Um, but but there is that that constant push and pull of her rather than relying on some sort of magic hero journey intellect or a magic sword or some, you know, perfect solution that you would get in a different kind of story. She is that kid who somebody mentioned it earlier is there and is read is ready and willing to work. Um, and if she hadn't said that she would have gotten, you know, uh, thrown into the mists of eternity by the sorceress immediately. Right. But because of that, she survives. And even though she's always on that tipping point of, of drifting into nothingness and, and falling into the same pit of a trap uh, that her parents and their generation represent her, her struggle is not, is not the thing that you expect from a fantasy adventure that has all of this amazing window dressing all over the place. It is that she has to do the, the most quote unquote boring thing, the most unhero like thing and keep muddling through and find a way through um, and and do and do the the boring thing and figure out how to be an adult. But even that is sort of extraordinary, given what little we know about the character from the very bare minimum of exposition that we get in the opening where you know, Chihiro is moving and she's not pleased about it. And then we jump right into the weirdness. But all we get about Chihiro in those moments is uh, she's sullen. She's afraid of her own shadow. She's, you know, maybe a bit of a brat. You don't really get that much of that. But, I mean, your assumption when she turns up in this land and is faced with all these things is, well, she's just going to fold up and and drift away, you know, go transparent. And that's not how she reacts. She ends up, you know, throwing herself into work and doing whatever it takes to get herself a position yeah. in the bathhouse and so forth. You know, she doesn't take the easy way out in, in any respects. And so 
as boring as going to work you know, <laughs> may be uh, for her to, to, to make that decision and, and make that journey is actually something pretty impressive. I mean, it's honest. It's a workplace drama. It's it's okay. I will join the Dust Bunny Union. Tales and, uh, from the Spirit Bathhouse. I'm telling you. <laughs> it's, I mean, you, you say it that way, and it makes it sound like something on Cinemax. But, no, but it's like um, there's a whole there's yeah. a whole. Well, yeah, okay. Well, that would be a different take. Um, there's a whole thing like where, where her friend, who for, first off, of course, is not her friend. It's like a human. Oh, you're going to be in trouble. Um, but then she gets talked into. In, because of uh, a, a newt, right? She's bribed with a newt to take her to uh, to Yubaba. But in the end, you know, when the stink spirit comes, she's got like, she's going to get her breakfast and she's got the two rice bowls and she's coming back. And and I did have that moment of this is an ensemble workplace drama. We meet the like the, the, the different characters. There's the boss. And that that is, that's one of the things I actually like about it is that she is, she is part of this whole. And that is, that is uh, Chihiro kind of adapting to this thing and just trying to survive. Uh, I, uh, that's absolutely true. That's why I don't like the comparison to Alice in Wonderland because Alice in Wonderland is so much absurdism and this place feels entirely realized like it is a concrete real place they, they do it so well from from like i said from the back of house front of house employees with with you know relatable motivations as employees you know in a hierarchy among the, the new employees versus the old and the, the guy with the tickets withholding them for people he likes and then you have the 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 species barriers between the frogs like that's frog work like cleaning the certain thing like it is very, it is not like, oh, I, there's a funny cat and a mad hatter and a tea party and I say things backwards. There's none of that. This feels very concrete. Even if you don't understand like what a bathhouse is even or or what all these gods are doing or why are there giant chicks undulating in the background or whatever. Like, <laughs> if, even yeah. if you have no idea, it, it it's grounded in it. Uh, every part of it from the floating frog people to everything is grounded in the, in the, the same sort of basic humanity that I feel like Miyazaki puts in all of his work that... You know, you can recognize people from your workplace in this movie, even if you don't yeah. work in a bathhouse of the gods. And that makes it yeah. feel so very different from like, oh, I'm going to, the, you know, yes, it is wacky and the visuals are wacky, but put different settings and faces on all these people and all the interactions still work. Maybe not oh, the, that guy the, with the huge gels and the man boobs that always takes up the yeah, whole elevator. Yeah, that guy who eats your coworkers and then vomits them back up. We've all seen it, right? <laughs> <laughs> Dust Bunny Gary from accounting. I, I yeah, I, I completely agree about the Alice in Wonderland thing. That, that was that was what I was getting at was that everybody just gets distracted by all the amazing visuals and and ignores the fact that there there is this fantastical realism to every step of this whole thing. Even the spiritual stuff like the the cutting of the curse, that kind of stuff, that is all that is all like, well, first you put the punch card in, then you pull the lever, then you pull the lever up, then you pull the punch card out. It's it, there there is there is workplace comedy to all of this stuff that is happening and uh, people people try to find the easiest comparison link and that's not at all what's going on here so can somebody explain no face to me cuz I, I he's weird and eerie and i like him um as a monster as monsters go kind of like a maybe he's misunderstood monster, monster well, but but just, i don't he understand just wants him to be needed jason he just wants to be wanted and needed <laughs> yeah so this that's this is the thing about this movie is like I've actually resisted looking up, like, what is the, you know, to, to get what Jason was talking about before, or I think, uh, which of these things are things for Miyazaki's animation? Which of these things are essentially Santa Claus, only we don't know about them because we're not Japanese, right? Right. Uh, you know, and I don't, I honestly, I don't want to know. Like, I don't want to know <laughs> if No Face is a, is a well-known creature in Japan, and I just don't know it, um, because I just like to 
make up my own ideas about everything. Like, I don't, I don't think it's important to, you know, you could probably get more from it. And in various cases, you know, you do want to learn more. But like, there's so much in this that I'm willing to accept it all as a piece. And so my explanation for what No Face is, is he is exactly what he is in this movie. And I feel like yeah. he's very thoroughly explained. And it may not be a satisfying explanation of like, so... So is he a bad guy or is he a good? Well, you know not to ask no. that question in a Miyazaki movie because you know that's not how this things roll in here. He does what he does and he has the interactions that he has and he ends up where he ends up. And I feel like it is a it is a journey. No faces journey through this movie has some exciting and dramatic scenes and good interactions <laughs> with characters, and then it comes to an end and he's he helps uh, uh Zinib and Knit, and I think it's fine. Yep. Large uh, yeah. meals. I don't think there's any bad to No Face, to be honest with you. I think everything that he does. He did eat some is, people. Well, he's yeah. but he doesn't eat them. He just consumes. Well, he did vomit them back up when they were fine. I'm just saying. And I'm not sure he does it maliciously. Even I mean, he's 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 handing them things that they think they want, and right. then he All borrows the them for a little bit so that he can be a frog guy for a little while or a frog slash uh, foreman for a little while. I mean, he just sort of absorbs their qualities at that point. But really, he's just lonely. He he wants to be wanted. He wants to be needed, and uh, doesn't really know how to go about it. And uh, yeah, and I think my favorite part of him is the Chihiro's reaction to him and the general creepiness of a needy person saying, uh, "Here," you know, he makes a little uh, noise like, "Here, take uh, this," and uh, and she instinctively says. I'm not sure I want to accept that, like that. Well, it's not even that. She says, I don't need it. I right. Don't need I don't need it. Me. But then why do you want to give it to me so much? It's suspect. Right. So she doesn't she doesn't just entirely ignore him because she she is interested in what his deal is. But she also doesn't want what he has. So she's honest with him about what she wants. But also he just keeps putting, you know, and, and but on the same side, she wants to help him, too. He's like, what's what's this guy's problem? What's his deal? Um, so that that's definitely that creepiness in the, in the middle part of the movie. And well, that's of what makes her unique. That's what makes that's what what makes yeah. her a beacon to No Face is that uh, she doesn't she's really the only need one any she's of the things she's that he's offering. Him, I know. Yeah. Uh, but like uh, th- speaking of creepiness, my, I showed this movie to my kids probably uh-huh. a little bit too early. A few of them. There is terrifying imagery in this movie for little kids. Everything in mm-hmm. this movie is potentially scary. Even down to just you know Yubaba with her giant face and giant yeah. mole in the middle of her eyes. Well, your I parents like, turning into pigs isn't exactly the parents a, as pigs. Yeah, the parents as pigs. Oh, yeah, the like parents as pigs. Yeah, my daughter didn't look, make it past the first time. The I said, okay, baby. We the baby. <laughs> yeah, the giant baby. Oh, the baby. When the, the baby talks, though, it suddenly baby. becomes kind of cute uh, until it tries I mean, to break her. Well, and, and then the baby gets, gets turned creepy. into the rat, and then and then mm-hmm. maybe three minutes later, Yubaba opens the screen door and lets her into No Face. As this like big uh, glob monster, you know, surrounded by a bunch of weird filth and stuff. And, and Yubaba is smoking all the time, and she gets really angry, and her face gets right up in Shihiro's face, and flames come out of her nose, and her hair goes crazy. It's just like designed to give children nightmares. Because it's not scary to adults, because you're like, what, a big old lady face that's in my face? But to kids, a big old lady face that's in your face is terrifying. Even just her, her jewelry and her nails and everything. I still remember enough about being a kid that it is a little scary to me. <laughs> yeah. It's to like honest. it's like how scary adults seem to young children. That's what you Baba yeah. looks like. I will say that the scene where she's going down the stairs little by little in the dark is so amazingly effective yeah. and and uh you know tactile while you're watching it that I literally jumped a foot the first time when the <laughs> stair when the step gives way. Yeah, no, and I, then I watched I, I always... it again a second time. I did the exact same. Yeah, I know because you think you know where it is, but you don't know where it is. That, that's the type of scene that you know a Miyazaki movie will, will luxuriate in. Like how much time they spend on her journey down the stairs to the door. Like 
but that's nightmare fuel like, too. Is you know that's, I'm gonna that's make gonna, it take the time it takes. That's gonna haunt a child's nightmare for many many a year after seeing that as well. Are, are you satisfied about No Face? By the way, Jason, I you know well this I mean that's I'm satisfied that maybe Let No Face I, be No Face. Maybe Jason. I understand No Face as much as anyone can understand No Face, which is that he's I mean when he starts out he's kind of a non-entity and he's trying to kind of grab hold of. Um, traits and and yeah just wants to be liked i think the most heartwarming thing in the movie for me by far is how pleased he looks at the end when he's making brooms and knitting <laughs> yeah and and he's he's given a position permanently with zeniba as her assistant and he's wanted now and it's it's suddenly there's a very warm feeling that uh, that creeps over you he just he just needs something to do is really it something productive yeah, yeah. Well, he has and, place uh, in the world and also the imagery of him drinking tea and eating cake is one of the funniest things I've seen. <laughs> is he going to put it in the mask? Nope. He's going to put it in the little mouth under the mask. Sure. Mm-hmm. Why not? Uh, so so there's some interesting kind of like environmental themes in this um, in that we have we have two river spirits and there is Haku, who is there. There are these like river spirit dragons. Haku, who we find out at toward the end of the movie is the spirit of a river that has been largely, I think, built over. But when uh, Chihiro was little, she fell in the river, and he's like, oh, that's how I know you, and that he pushed her kind of to the side so that she didn't drown. And then the other river spirit is the stink spirit, which is... It, it, that is my favorite thing in the entire movie because that whole sequence where it comes into the bathhouse and it smells up everything and it turns the rice bowl into just black awfulness with its stink and Chihiro has to kind of like, uh, you know, has to lead it into the pool and, and turn on the water tap and they have to they have to wrap a rope around the thing that's sticking out of it and pull and it's a bicycle and this huge just pile of junk disgorges from it um it's, well they have to all work together to unpollute the polluted river pollute the, the polluted river exactly right and, and that's all the crap everybody threw yeah. into that that a, spirits river, a beautiful basically. a beautiful message wrapped in a poop monster exactly and then when it's done it goes good job and it flies away and i go <laughs> wow that was weird Here's a ball of phlegm that you can use for various things. What, whereas her parents are, are crappy and, and, and they're pigs and they're eating stuff. So I think the message is pretty clear about like, hey, yeah. hey kids, you need to take care of this world that your parents have been terrible stewards of and everything is polluted and, and overbuilt. I love, uh, I love that monster in, in the dirty monster. I love that scene where they're like trying to like the whole bathhouse is flooded and oh, yeah. I'm thinking these poor people are going to have to clear this up. I I hope I hope those boards are watertight. <laughs> I know. And, um, and, 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 and it like, keeps it keeps going, and it's like yeah, all weird yeah. colored and ooh. Yeah, I love it. And they yeah. they pull it out, and this like this whole thing. Everybody's on board, and they're heaving, and and this this last little bit is this little girl pulling on this fishing line, and it's just like this delicate pop. <laughs> and there's like yeah, a cork, yeah. Po- a cork pop <laughs> it, at the it, it end. Just, it just everything <laughs> collapses and suddenly there's like creepy old man face kind yeah, of good job yeah it was yeah thank it, you uh, for I, giving I, me a bath little girl <laughs> <laughs> 
Don't mind that cork pop and all the fluid that came out of the hole after you did that. The, the not what I meant. The but. way that it's animated too, when the junk comes out. I mean, I I said disgorged for a reason. Like it oh, is yeah. just this vomiting of garbage that happens There's in that moment. It's like whoa, that happens in this movie. This is it's a true. There is vomit heavy. Film. There's a lot of vomiting in here. A lot of eating people and vomiting things back up, <laughs> including I, people. I wonder about how many parents who showed their kids this movie too early, like John did. Uh, you know, look pointed pointed. Chihiro while she's wading through what looks like liquid poop and waste you know oh poop. man i mean look oh, man J- janet janet you say you don't want to clean your room chihiro chihiro is walking around in poop you yeah. could be walking around in poop <laughs> i love it too when it's like it's got it's gotten to be like three feet deep and the way she has to move through it to get to the little mm-hmm. door to send down the tags, it's just this massive wall of muck that she has to displace just to get a couple of feet away. Other Miyazaki heroes have swords, she gets to wade through poop. Yeah, this movie has gross stuff. But it also has this movie's a nice mix of like the you know the bathhouse and the workplace and the gross stuff, but it, but it also has cozy stuff like the place where they all sleep yeah. with their little mats and their sleeping bags. Like I think I think about their sleeping bags a lot and like how, how it must be cold in there, like because the the walls are thin. That's why they're all snuggled up on their little sleeping things and their little outfits that they have and how hot it is in the boiler room with the soot sprites and how the soot sprites eat the little star flakes that look like they come from mushroom uh, marshmallows like, from like cereal. Charms. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, like of course they. Lucky Charms. What wouldn't so sprites eat tiny little stars? I just want to cozy up under a duvet, take a nap, eat some marshmallows, sleep. And then ha- have have right like now. a big uh, you know uh, dumpling rice ball thing on the uh, on the veranda while you while you watch your giant headed evil henchwoman fly away as a big bird. Yeah. Well, the river's turned into a giant ocean that engulfs pretty much the entire land, but you're warm and cozy up in your tower. It, it, it did rain a lot, Steve. That's the explanation. Yeah. Well, it did oh, rain yeah, a lot. Of course. That's what happens when it rains. I think one of the great moments of the film, getting back to the stink spirit for me, oh, man. is um, we've already seen that the smell is so bad that it makes Chihiro's hair frizz out as soon yeah. as it approaches, mm-hmm. right? which is awesome. But then, uh, naturally, she and Lynn get uh, get duty-duty uh, because Yubab is trying to test their metal. Um you know, having having just signed on, um, but the stink spirit approaches her and it drops a couple of coins and this huge wad of muck into Chihiro's oh, hands. Oh yeah, yeah. And there's a brief pause and you can see her processing what's just happened. And then this shiver of disgust runs up her entire <laughs> body. She doesn't react beyond the shiver, but the shiver is enough to say, "I now understand what is in my hand. I have fully processed it. This is really effing gross." And it's it's a wonderful moment that is is uh, explained in a fairly simple bit of animation. She had a similar reaction when she stepped on the when she stepped on the slime thing that came out of Haku, yes. and squished between her toes. Oh yeah, <laughs> uh-huh. yeah, which turns, which is an important plot point later. But yeah, yeah, that's that's. Uh, true this, too. And speaking speaking of the the soot sprites, this one of the, one of the uh, every time I watch this, I'm amazed at the time delay on the sight gag with the soot sprites. And I'm amazed that my kids get it. So this is like, the, I think my reason my kids get it is because they, they like, it shows that it engages kids. So the soot sprite, the, the gag for them is they're, they're carrying these very heavy pieces of coal or whatever that magical substance that is into the, into the, the boiler thing. And they do that, and the scene goes on and on. And at one point, Chihiro, one of them gets squished by the thing, and Chihiro helps the squish thing. And then she slowly and laboriously moves across the room, dodging the soot sprites and not stepping on them with the very heavy thing. And she throws it into the thing, and it burns up the thing. She starts walking back, and then all the soot sprites look up at her, and then they all decide, let's all be helpless and let and pretend the things fall on us, <laughs> right? And 
I like every time I watch it, I'm amazed at how long it is between the setup and the punchline of that joke. And I watch my kids and they get it and they laugh at it every time, which shows that they are absolutely enthralled by the scene of her basically walking across a dirt floor carrying a rock. Right. Mm -hmm. All because of the the beautiful animation and how engaged they are in like this wordless scene of like uh, of the problem, the problem statement. Like I accept Toot Sprites. I accept the job they're doing and I accept that she's going to try to do it. And I'm totally engrossed and totally engaged. Like that's that's the magic of this movie that it will make you, you know, stare at something and pay attention to every little thing so that when they pull off that sight gag, you remember back seemingly five minutes ago when they did the setup for it and you and you laugh at it. I think it's great. Yeah. And then they keep all of her things safe. Yeah, they put away her shoes. I mean, come on, who doesn't like... <laughs> this movie has a lot of the, I don't know, the, the people who are into, like, neatly organizing things. So many things are neatly organized. The different spices that Kamaji has mm-hmm. and the different drawers in the room and her shoes go away ni- nice and neatly arranged. And, you know, the, even the little uh, the tile things for the different bath treatments, those all look nice. Everything is just very, very Japanese and, and neatly arranged and beautiful. They're weird goblins, and there's a baby, and there's the three bouncing heads that bounce around. So many different I do characters. not like those. Those creep me out. <laughs> those, they, there's something some, that creep everybody out of this movie. Your thing like, is. Heffalumps and Woozles terrified me as a kid. <sighs> mm-hmm. Just utterly terrified me. Had to fast forward. Could not watch that part of the many adventures of Winnie the Pooh. I had this, it is kind of I had the same visceral reaction to those, those hopping head dudes. They just skeeved me out. They're green. They're necrotic. I don't. Yeah. They just, and they're they they're eating Haku at one point, and they think he's dead. They're over there, and they're yeah. just the little heads are up against him. It's like they're basically eating him. Oh, they're trying to push him into the pit. But they're like uh, comedy, comedy uh, uh, characters. Comedy severed necrotic yeah. heads. Yeah, yeah. They're super weird uh, comedy bouncing bouncing heads. And then there's the and they do all the the switcheroo with the baby and. Oh, there's there's just so much here, and of course we we learned that uh, uh, Yubaba has a twin, who is Zaniba, who um, ends up being you know she's sort of like seem she's dangerous at first, uh, but but uh, and she turns uh, the baby into a mouse, but uh, and creates a fake baby, but uh, out of one of the heads or all the heads, all of the heads. Yeah, that's I don't even know how it's, that works. It's the three heads in a trench coat. Yeah, that's yeah exactly it. <laughs> But the, the three but the necrotic lady, heads in a trench coat go right. to town. Mm-hmm. But 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 you know the it, what ends up happening is Chihiro kind of like uh, by uh, getting squishing that thing and getting the seal out of uh, out of Haku uh, when he's sick down in the boiler room. She sort of like frees uh, Zaniba from uh, curse, uh, and so she's fine. Then it's it's just there's so much that happens in this movie, and yet it's very it's just all strange. I I kind of just go with it, so I have a hard time. I'm recapping it. Um, yeah, the, this this movie likes to have. I think this multiple. It's getting to the the for me the lack of a, of a strong through line. I think the movie wants to have a, at least a couple of cathartic climaxes. Like one, arguably, could be her correctly guessing her parents, because then you know that was that was her you know initiating problem is hey my parents are pigs, and then it's solved at the end by like yeah. you know by her. That's but, a little but, weak. but that. But there's no real setup for her ability to know which that they're not pigs or that she's being fooled or anything like that. So that other than you that, know, she's now confident and right, right. But 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 it's like it sort of comes out of nowhere. There's also the potentially uh, climactic moment when she has the flash and realizes where she knows Haku from because that is teased a couple times. That is kind of an important moment. But is it more important than her? You know. Uh, going taking the train trip and you know succeeding in that mission or 
the the stink spirit, arguably, of you know facing that challenge and succeeding at the job. And I, you know, the, any episodic thing is going to be like that. But I feel like specifically the last two, like the the parents and and the Haku realization, both I feel like are vying for the true triumphant moment, especially the Haku one, because when you have flashbacks and like those sort of instant cuts to a memory, uh, stuff like that. But but they they they're visually more dramatic and they're placed in the movie like they're supposed to have primacy but to me they they feel no more significant than her successfully getting a job from or you know being brave and going to kamaji or uh you know dealing with the stink spirit or anything like that so yeah they don't they don't hit yeah you're right that's that's one complaint i do have and i I think they would actually have been better off just to not try to make the music Mm. swell at those points and make them seem like of a piece with the the sort of emotional tenor of the rest of the film because yeah I think they feel to me more like sops that, you know, we need some sort of a climax here and there in the movie. That's just that's just how these things are done. Because we're near the end of the movie now. Right? Yeah, I, 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 I kind of disagree just because I, I feel like I feel like they weren't going for that in in the first place. That there There is all of this stuff that has been going on in the spirit realm entirely separate from literally anything that she does. And part of the point is that the 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 moments of true heroism are those moments of quiet. I don't know, quite like quite bureaucratic victory uh, where she's done a good job. And it's not that she found the magic sword. I mean, she finds the magic seal and there's, there's, there's like dumb show around it. There's not a swell of the music and it glows like the crystalline castle in the sky. Um, th- there isn't that kind of se- the, the, the stuff that, that has the high drama and visual spectacularness wrapped around it. Those aren't the hero moments. And that's part of the point. Um, that's, that, that's again, all the stuff that is going on around the actual victories that are her continuing to press forward and not do the glamorous thing, not do the, you know, the, the outlandish thing, but just find a way to stay herself, stay true to herself and stay true to what, what does right by others. Um, it, for me, it, it just keeps going back to the 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 kind of altered perspective on nostalgia of looking at the things that happened in the past and the people that came before it's great that they came before and everything but if they didn't do anything to functionally improve stuff then then uh i guess it's up to me okay well uh what else am i gonna do uh just you know just sit here and rot let my friends get killed let me you know i i okay i'll you know i'll i'll punch the punch card i'll sort the rocks i'll wash the floors i'll i'll do this that and the other and yeah there's magic thread and there's a magic seal and there's a there's a there's a neat train ride uh you know through flooded plains and there's all of this fantastical stuff but it's really it, it is really subverting all of this amazing visual stuff that we have to look at and and really much more about about the boring stuff she's doing and how that ends up being the most important stuff is is not caring as much about the flashy stuff. Is this the movie that has the most cleaning of any Miyazaki movie? I'm trying to think. Kiki There's had a fair some cleaning. Of cleaning in the opening to- of Totoro. Including Sid's Sid's rights make an appearance there as well. Yeah, I mean, like that's that, like along with flight, uh, mm-hmm. cleaning, and maybe not organizing, but things already being organized, but then also cleaning things. Like there's. This, this, I think this spends a lot of time. Is that's her job? Like she's scrubbing the tanks and and stuff like that. But and she's dealing with messes and and cleaning them up. But I, that's, I mean, I guess that's part of the Miyazaki sort of uh, not not a uh, 
not magical realism, but like uh, whatever the word, the opposite of magical realism, like a boring reality. Fantastical mundanity. Yeah, it's it's ground yeah. it's grounding the fantastic setting with this mundanity of the cleaning, right? Like, you're congratulations, you're in the in a spirit realm where gods come to a bathhouse now. Clean mop now. Right. Yeah, and 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 the same thing like in Kiki or whatever, she's got to clean her apartment, yep. which is it's a mundane reality, and then a, a mundane thing within a mundane reality. But like that, there's something that again that the movies, uh, his movies, spend so much screen time mm-hmm. on things like that. Like not you'll have a three second, twenty four frame, whatever uh, scene of someone cleaning something. It's like no, we're going to be here for three now. Lovingly detailed dialogue. Yep. But there's a right. lot more dirtying of clean surfaces in this movie than I recall in a previous well. Miyazaki. I mean, there's either stink spirits pooing all over the place or there's uh, the rather shocking amount of blood that, that Haku produces and spreads all over the walls. Oh, that's right. We, ha- we haven't seen Mononoke yet. We'll Well-organized. <laughs> but I mean, that's that's really kind of like the whole point of the movie, though. I mean, she walks into what is effectively a nightmare situation uh-huh. and, and in some cases literal nightmares where she can't figure out which of the pigs is her parents. Uh, and the way she gets through it is by soldiering through and carrying on and being basically polite to people even when they're not polite to her. And... The cleaning, you know, I mean, that's that's just representative of that sort of mindset. I'll get through this by carrying on. And also, like again, with the this these type of movies taking on an extra special level of interests for for people like me who aren't as familiar with the intricacies. Uh, seeing someone, you know, the first time you see someone scrubbing the floor by running along it with the little rag or taking the wooden bowl and dumping it out the little sliding door, or even just the, the various locking mechanisms for the sliding doors, like the little slidey down stick that when you close the door, it slides down and keeps the door in a lock position or the little wooden things. I have no idea how many of these things are real. How many of these things just come from Miyazaki's imagination. Do bathhouses have giant wooden things that fall out of the, the, the that are invisible until you pull them down from the wall with a, with a, a big rope? Uh, do you pick bath tiles and they, but I have no idea. But all of it, I just, from, from sort of a mechanical design perspective and from like a, you know, a, a, a weird, uh, I don't know, like I, I, I like to believe that everything in these movies is entirely made up. And I'm often disappointed to learn that, no, that's just what, you know, this part of a bathhouse always looks like. Or that is representative of a specific kind of architecture from Japan in this time period. And it's like, I almost don't want to know. I just want to look <laughs> at it all and... And believe that someone just imagined this all up because it's so like I, that's why I can just watch these movies as I often do during the podcast with the sound off and just look at the backgrounds and look at how everything is designed and look at like the clothes and the shoes and the little the little ribbon that is tied around her outfit and the way those little slits over the top of the sleeve so you can see the underneath color thing like is that a thing I have no idea it's just it's endlessly fascinating and and sort of a vi- visually much more interesting than a more familiar territory that, you know, that, that I'd be able to pick out, which is the fantastical things and which are the, you know, things that I'm familiar with. Yeah. And I really love that there's no real effort made to explain every little thing that happens in the movie or, or anything that happens. In the, I mean, no, a lot I, of, a lot of what makes the, the film so fully realized is all of these little details that are in the background that you never really understand or even given any opportunity to understand. Like the one that sticks out for me is she's riding on the train for an extended period with no face and uh, that kind of hilarious uh, that setting where she's sitting there and no face is just sitting there and they're just passing the time and things are going on around them. And the whole train is filled with these shadow people that we know nothing about. 
we learn nothing about. They're just there on the train. And there's a particular stop where pretty much all of them get off. And we still know nothing about them. We just know there are these shadow people and they're part of this world. And, uh, you know, we don't have to know about them. And there's, there's, as they're pulling away from the station, there's a little shadow girl that's standing there on the train yeah. station. She's watching as Chihiro pulls away. And she doesn't wave or anything, but why is she there on the, on the platform? Why is she watching Chihiro? Is she a former girl that came in from, from as a human and faded away? Who knows? It's just one of those things that's there and, and uh, kind of really blows your mind. <laughs> the shadow people even have bags up in the, uh, in the they baggage do. rack that they have to take they off when they leave. Yeah. They're just going about their business, whatever yeah, that it is. It is so densely packed with stuff that you can build head cannons around, like just the one shadow person on the train or half of the shadow people on the train or on another watch, walk, uh, uh, watch through the movie. You know, you see like, you know, one of the frog dudes with, with a mustache who, you know, it just is distinctly differently dressed than everybody else. You know, who you you find yourself getting lost thinking, you know, what what what's that guy's regular life like? You know, what does he what does he go home to? What's his what's his go to meal that he, he picks up at the at the corner bistro? Um, you, like you, you find yourself getting lost in all of these details because they're there. Everything is so uh, intricately designed in terms of, you know, you've got scratches and tarnish and dirt. And imperfections all over the place, and there there aren't just a million instances of of uh, cell shading uh, changes in the exact same figures. And there are a lot of duplicates all over the place, and people that are dressed alike and look alike and everything. But there's so much variety peppered throughout all of it. It is so easy to get lost, especially in this one. Um, you know, as as much as you can in 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 various other Ghibli movies. But this one, there's just there's so many different things that you can just completely forget what else is happening in the movie when you're watching it. Why are they so freaked out about a human when it seems like half the bathhouse is staffed by humans? They're not, though. They're like not. You think they're humans, How but that's, that's the whole thing. Well, Lynn sure appears to be one. There's several little girls that appear to be just like Chihiro. Well, first of all, all the all the men are these frogmen. Well, yeah, they're things, creepy. And right? then there's the, the slightly uh, heavier set women with the big eyebrows. But then there's mm -hmm. several that just look like Lynn. And right, but all, but all those like... like you think they're human because you can't smell them. <laughs> well, maybe nobody else can smell them either because they've been eating the food for three days. All right. What have we not covered that people have uh, on their list that they want to mention? Steve, you usually have a long list of things that I don't get I to. I do, but in this case, a lot of my list was just me uh, thinking we might go through the plot. And so I was trying to, to write down what happened in the plot because I knew luck. I forget about <laughs> and it. And you ended up with a sheet full of tears. I, it's mostly just a sheet full of bullet points saying such and such happens. Uh, watching No Face drink tea and eat cake is hilarious. Uh, turns out No Face is good at knitting and making mops. My first one was that uh, I was excited that we had a Miyazaki heroine that doesn't look like uh, Kiki with a different hairstyle. I, was, I thought you were going to say that it I didn't knew look you like were. her, but she's got brown hair and two eyes and a nose. <laughs> no, she doesn't. Look I didn't want to disappoint you, but she looks different. She's 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 very different. She looks the most like Kiki of any other heroine. Oh my oh. god. How? Because she's got the same wow. color hair. We didn't really discuss how awful her parents are. Yeah. I don't think they're that bad. I think they're, well, they're mostly filling the role of the way when you're a kid, it seems like your parents are less in touch with your distress than they actually are. So everything they yeah. do seems like they're just ignoring your distress. Well, they um, seem phenomenally awful at, up at the front. Dad is yeah. freaking nuts. 
he cannot wait to test out that four wheel drive, and he just takes off like a bat out of hell through the forest. I, I, I like the I like the realistic depiction of like so when she complains, she's she's being in her back seat. By the way, I love her sitting in the back seat like upside down, uh-huh. whatever, with no seatbelt mm-hmm. on, sideways in the seat with all the junk around her and her bouquet, her bouquet of flowers. And when she goes to her mom, she says, "Oh, my flowers!" Right? And the mom, instead of being sympathetic or whatever, says, "I told you that would happen if you smothered them," which is just such a parent <laughs> thing to do because we it's didn't get true. to see the seven hundred scenes before where the mother kept saying, "Don't smother, don't smother." Those flowers, you're gonna kill them. Don't smother them; they're gonna kill you. And and the girl give an attitude back and say, "I know what I'm doing. They're fine. Nothing's gonna happen to the flowers." All we get to see is the later one, so we can relate to Jihiro yeah. to see like, I tell my mom the flowers dying, and she and she says, "I told you they would do it." And that I think it's a realistic de- par- depiction of parenting from the perspective of a kid. The moral of this story, by the way, really very clearly is: uh, listen to your kids and don't take shortcuts. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Just, don't don't just take off through the creepy dark tunnel. No. Uh, when your kid is clearly terrified and you're supposed to be moving into the into your house. Or just like randomly eating food when there's nobody around and thinking, oh, this is <laughs> it's fine. This, this is, is an fine. unpopulated I theme have park with a ton cash. of food. Yeah, right. <laughs> it will be okay. I can smooth over anything with my credit cards and cash. And mom's mom's not much better. She just lets her terrified kid work her own way across the slippery rocks in the creek mm-hmm. that they're they're walking across. I don't know. Maybe it is from her perspective, in which case it makes more sense. I like at the end when they come back out that it isn't like it like it never happened. Like the car is dusty and there are leaves yes. all over it, and so who knows how long they've been there? Where the yeah. I, I appreciate too that they don't make they don't drag out our realization that yeah. it really happened because we immediately see that she's got the purple headband on. It's her yeah. hairband. She's mm-hmm. yeah. she's she's grown. She's changed. She's learned some stuff. They have learned absolutely nothing. Grown not whatsoever, and are completely oblivious to the fact that anything happened. But has she really? learn because it's interesting to me I noticed on the second viewing she's right back to clinging to her mom at the end and her mom is saying the exact same things she comes out of that tunnel and she's back to scowling at the world and I wonder about that well there's a difference between learning something and acting on something that you've learned I just think that's an interesting choice. I think it's done to mirror to mirror the beginning part. To, to like, is she going to make it out? Like, it's like just like in the beginning, just like in the end. Like, it's yeah. building the tension to see, you know, like because really she wants to get out of this world and back to her regular world. It seems like she's going to do it, but she's still clinging to her mother as they go back through the tunnel and everything. Well, this is a fascinating movie and uh, full of poop. Just full. Yeah, of poop. It, it is. It it actually really is. Um, and I think Man, I, I, bodily fluids of every kind feature heavily in this. Yeah, I, I think Maybe it's interesting that our reactions to it are are kind of all over the place here. I, I definitely, you know, obviously I don't have the same kind of uh, feelings for it as I do for many of his other work, but um, I would absolutely defend the details if that makes any sense. Like I, I don't feel an attachment as much to the characters, but uh, visually, just and the individual like little scenes are kind of amazing so i i understand why it is uh it is so loved and so successful and it did it won the academy award for best animated feature by the way for me it's for me it is it is top three ghibli and it's difficult for me to pick an order uh but it it's very comfortably there for me and and has been for for a while it was a i saw it the first time in college and i went oh i think I think this is oh boy, uh, and then I saw it again, and I saw it again, and I saw it again, and I saw it again, <laughs> and it has never diminished for me. Um, and yeah, it's it, 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 and and I can have that amount of affection for it, and at the same time, I can completely, totally understand how a, a a as subjective as every film is. This is this is one that everybody has a very different experience with. It is a different experience 
uh, for so, so many people. Like I, I, I find that I have very few common out. Well, I mean, I, I have everything in common with Steve Lutz. We know that. Um, mm-hmm. wow, that's terrible. Yeah, I know. And I have to live with myself. Um, <laughs> but, uh, I, it, I, I found that this, this, is, I wouldn't call this divisive, but it's, it's one that I have trouble finding a friend who has the same relationships with different parts of the movies, uh, uh, plot and story and visual design and everything that I do. Yeah, I wonder how this was going to grow on me because, like I said, I was I was fully engaged. I almost said fully engorged. I was fully engaged. In <laughs> now this movie I'm fully engorged in a way that uh, that I was not for some of the others, and maybe that's just because this is such a change of pace from some of the previous Miyazaki's that I've seen, and I wasn't really expecting it. Although on the second viewing, I enjoyed it as much, if not more. But uh, it remains to be seen how how it ages on me. But uh, I I dug it. I loved it. For me, it really depends upon like my mood, what I notice, what I pick out more than a lot of other movies. And I think it's because, you know, as discussed, it doesn't have that really strong, you know, it's got it's got a through line, but it's not a super strong through line. And so it really it really depends. So tonight when I watched it was the details like I was noticing expressions and the way Chihiro's like they obviously like watched people running and watch observed kids, you know, like the way she puts on her shoes, she taps the toes to make sure that they're on just right. You know, those kinds of details are, are what I noticed. And you know, the bus uh, or not the bus, the, the train and like the neon billboards or neon signs along the side of it. And, yeah. um, you know, those Just are the things. Yeah. Those are the things I noticed. And, and sometimes it's more about the relationships and how, um and how Chihiro interacts with people and I feel like movies with with stronger through lines I'm more focused on observing how they connect those dots whereas with this I feel like it's not as strongly connected and so I can take the space to kind of pay attention to those those other things with not noticing how they're setting up something that's going to happen later the only thing I have to, to say as a final thought is if you are considering showing this movie to your kids... Don't. Uh, Do it when they're young. <laughs> no, like, Get them early. <laughs> one, this movie Fortify is em. basically uh, like turbocharged nightmare fuel for young yeah. children mm-hmm. because almost everything in this movie is terrifying in, in to small children. Like in the way, like I was saying, the, the adults look like what scary adults look like to children the frog people like even the even the depiction of work like they could could scar these children for life um well, even just the, haku the, suddenly turning on her apparently right right the shadow people on the train uh people not knowing whether people are your friends or or your enemies I and mean, it's, it's all completely benign to to adults i mean it may be a little creepy and weird but it's not but uh for kids i i didn't see this as a kid so i don't know uh but i can imagine it being it look if you want what i'm getting at is if you want your kids to like this movie uh, wait until a little bit later because if you want them to just this to be the one movie that they say they never want to see again, uh, that can happen too. So be careful. Watch it yourself and watch it from the perspective of a kid. And honestly, I think this movie is better viewed by a kid that is older than ten to get some perspective on the process by th- through which they've already gone by that point, right? Rather than showing it to kids who are eight about what it's going to be like when it's 10, like maybe yeah. pick Kiki for that or something. Cause they're not going to pick up on any of those themes. They're just going to remember the terrifying evil things that they were forced to sit through. Exactly. Well, then I would like to thank my guests for this latest edition of uh, Miyazaki club. We'll be back of course 
with more uh, because there are more movies for us to watch. I wonder what John will select next. Hmm. Hmm. Uh, But I'd like to thank my guests for being here. John Syracuse, as always, thank you. You smell like a human, Jason. Mm. Uh, Aline Sims, thank you. I can breathe at last. Uh, uh, Don't go near the stink spirit. Moises Chuyon, Mm. thank you. I I feel covered in shame. I I feel dirty. I just feel absolutely filthy. Steve Lutz, well done. Uh? Uh? Huh? <laughs> I'm offering you some gold. Uh, thanks. In case you were wondering, I, I, I gotta deposit it in a hurry before it turns into sludge. Oh, thank something. you, Jason. This was uh, this was weird. Yeah, unsettling, yeah. disturbing. <laughs> I agree. And that's all. That's all. Uh, uh, I'll par for the course. I think. And thanks to everybody out there for listening to another edition of the Incomparable. We'll be back next week. I've been your host, Jason Snell. Goodbye.